You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Civilization is the domestication of man. The civilization hoax is the all-encompassing hoax, the spiderweb that holds together and guides human society in a never-ending cycle of birth, indoctrination, work, consume, and then death. In this episode, we explore the NPC phenomenon that can be used to describe the bot-like behaviour of the people living out their lives under a spell so powerful that for most they will never even suspect, let alone realise that they have been deceived and enslaved. Not only are you given a choice of framework to explain your existence here on the earth, but your whole life is scripted and controlled by the system of civilization. The deception at play is so vast, so invasive, that even if you arrive at certain events, such as 9-11 being a made-for-TV movie, or the TV itself being a conditioning tool for the masses, you are still hooked into many of the threads of the programme. Of course, one of the biggest control points of the system is the need to support yourself with currency. Your very survival depends on it. If there is indeed a group of elites still in charge of the system of civilization, then they are not visible in any way to the masses of the herd. It is not possible to track down or even find a trace of these people, if in fact that is even what they are. The narratives for the herd keeps everything hidden. It may be even possible that elites in charge today have no memory or recollections of a time before the system. As described in the novel 1984, it does not matter who is in charge of the party system as long as the system remains. I sometimes speculate that there may have been a time before the system when man was left to its own devices, but after much contemplation it appears at least to me that this may never have been the case. I now honestly think that man and his synthetic reality may only have been in existence for a few generations. Is this place some kind of test for the few that realise what is happening here? Could it be that we are part of a simulation, a ritual to separate the wheat from the chaff? Welcome to the Civilization Podcast. Here is your host, TNG, with special guest. Yeah. Yeah. 
45 minutes have been mind-blowing, TNG. You might have to recap some of what you were just telling me in the pre-show. <laughs> okay. Well, we can maybe go into some of that near the end of the uh, end of the podcast. But uh... guys, I think TNG <laughs> has cracked the code. There's a few problems when it comes to fakeology. There's a few hurdles that, if we're being honest, so those of us who've been in fakeology for a while, we will admit that is a problem for the fakeology perspective or the media fakery perspective or the this could be fake perspective. Like for instance, there is a thing in the sky, or at least I believe there is a thing in the sky that kind of looks like the ISS, the images that were given of the ISS. Now if satellites are a hoax, and I believe they are, how do we explain this thing in the sky that looks like the ISS, right? That is a problem for the outer space as a hoax notion. Not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily destroy it, but it could be a problem. There's another problem. And it's not to do with the space hoax, it's to do with the nuke hoax. And what TNG was just telling me in the pre-call, I think could solve the problem. Big time. And I have to say, TNG, with the greatest of respect, it is kind of an obvious solution. I can't believe I didn't think of it. Now, I'm not trying to make you let the cat out of the bag in the first two minutes of your own show, but very interesting what you were just telling me, I have to say. I'm thinking about it as we speak. And enjoying a nice little cafe latte here in beautiful northern Thailand. I'm in Chiang Mai, listeners. It's great to be here. Fantastic stuff. If you can hear noise in the background, I've got my door open. And the sun is about an hour away from going down. So it's twilight. There's a bit of a breeze. And there's some species of bird that lives around here that never shuts up. So if you can hear that, I do apologize. But hopefully it adds some ambience to the call. John LeBon coming to you from Chiang Mai, Thailand. TNG, I'm finally here. Can you believe that? Finally here, mate. I've been talking about it for years. And I'm finally in the Mecca for digital, so-called digital nomads. Finally. Yeah, and you've extended your stay for a month as well, haven't you? Yeah, I did do that. And to do that here, you've got to go to immigration. They'll let you stay for a month. Pretty much no problems. But if you want to stay for even one more month, you've got to go to immigration. The office is packed full of people. You've got to pay... Let me think, how do I convert it for you? About 60 or 70, yeah, probably 65 US dollars for one month extension. And, uh, and that's what I've done. And so I've got three more weeks here. Yeah, I'm loving it, mate. This place is great. It's everything I hoped it would be and more. So I'm very happy. I did have one thought about this. You've brought that up a few times now that you have to pay to stay. Is that money going into the pockets of these customs people? Or is that actually officially are you getting a receipt for that (laughs) well you don't get a receipt you do get a a special marker in your passport so that part is legitimate but in terms of where the money goes i would be very skeptical that the money is making its way to wherever it's meant to make its way to and i can tell you that what the police do here not everybody but most people rent a scooter now to be legally driving a scooter you need to have a bike license from your home country and an international driver's permit from your home country indicating that you are allowed to drive a bike in your country. So in my case, Australia. Well, most people don't have that. So the police set up checkpoints every day in the main, around the main square of the city. And if they catch you, they issue you with a, a fine. 
If you're a complete noob, they might try and sting you for a thousand baht, which is about 35 US. If you're just an average person, they'll probably try and get you 500 baht, which is about, I don't know, 18 US dollars, 17, 18 US dollars. If you know what you're doing though, you can, you can talk them down to 200, which is the actual fine that it should be. Now, does anyone believe that those fines are going to the treasury of the, of the Thailand's country? I don't think anyone believes that. Now, I'm trying to couch my, my wording here so as to not say anything too much, but I think you can read between the lines there, T. I hope I've answered your question. I think that more than answers the question, doesn't it? <laughs> I heard from somebody once, they were saying that they were going through the checkpoint and they actually had their license. They were ready to give all the legitimate documentation. Because what they do is they just wave the, the whiteies, the farang, as they call us. They wave us to check our details. They don't care about the ties. We're the ones with the cash, in theory, right? And we're the ones who are likely to be, you know, driving without permits. So anyway, old mate has, has stopped. He's been waved over to stop. Getting ready to give his documentation, they've waved him off because right, he looks behind him. There's a pack of four or five tourists all on rental cars, right? So these people's eyes have lit up like Christmas trees. This is payday. They're like, you get out of here. We've got, we've got bigger fish to fry. Start waving down this pack of tourists on the rental bikes, you see. Why would they be so excited about the tourists on the rental bikes, do you think? Is it because they can't wait to make more money for the, the Thai government? Maybe. Or maybe, maybe they've got... <laughs> Oh, that's brilliant. That's, so there's an, a question for you is, do you have the relevant paperwork, John Nabon, <laughs> or do you not? Well, it depends who you ask, because I've gone through this, this checkpoint twice now. It took me a while to learn where the checkpoints are and how to navigate my way so as to not have to deal with certain problems, right? So I've been through the checkpoints twice. The first time, I handed over my license and I handed over my international driver's permit, which I keep on me. The police officer was cool. He's like, oh, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, Australia, da 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 And he's like, here you go. Giving the paperwork back, off you go. I'm like, beautiful. I was hoping that my, my paperwork would be sufficient. The second time I went through the checkpoint, I'm like, ah, oh, this will be a piece of cake, no worries. Hand over the license, hand over the, the driver's permit. And uh, he had a big smile on his face. Hands it over to his boss. 500 baht, thanks. And at the time, I didn't know about the whole it's meant to be 200 thing. Because what you can do is you can say, okay, I'll pay at the station. Well, they don't want you to do that, you see, because if you pay the station, it's 200 and you're not paying them. So when you say, oh, okay, I'll pay at the station, all of a sudden 500 becomes 200, if you get what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> so I had to hand over the, the 500. So to answer your question without saying anything that's too incriminating, who knows? Who knows in this beautiful world of ours, if I have the correct paperwork, TNG? All I know is I've got my scooter. I never drive after drinking. And, uh, and I'm safe and I'm happy and everybody's happy. And whoever got my 500 baht, I'm sure he's happy as well. That's the world we live in. Oh, <laughs> I'm very happy. What a, unbelievable. Oh, dear. But it works out to be 17 bucks US. I mean, that's, that's money I'd rather have in my pocket. But at the end of the day, and here's the best part too. They give you a, a receipt to say that you've, you've paid this, this fine and it works for three days. So you can't be fined for the next three days. So if and when that happens to me again, I'll just say, right, I've now basically got a free pass in this country. I'll go for a ride around the mountains for a couple of days. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not hoping to get caught at one of these checkpoints. But if it happens, I'll be like, all right, $17 for three days uh, free, free coverage in this country. That's a, I, would, I, I would pay that anyway. If I had a way that you could just pay that, I'd probably do it anyway. So yeah, you've got to look at the bright side, mate. That's what, that's what Thailand has done for me. It's told me just to think, you know what? There's always a couple of perspectives. Just take the positive one, you know? Chill out, relax, take it easy. 
Life's good. It's a strange world. That's for sure. Certainly. So I feel bad, man. This is your show. We haven't even done a proper introduction. What's the topic? <laughs> what are we talking about? I really should just shut up and let you... I'll let you get the lead in there. I'll let you get the hooks in there. Tell the listeners what are we talking... Even I don't know what we're talking about. Listeners, I have no idea what we're talking about. I think we're talking about non-player characters. But beyond that, I have no idea. Well, this is the second episode of the Civilization Hoax. I'm saying it's the Civilization Hoax. That is not the name of the podcast, but it is the Civilization Hoax that we're discussing. We've talked a number of times about NPCs and essentially people around us being no more in form and function as bots. And I think this all plays neatly and nicely into the concept of the civilization hoax itself. So I know we've we have discussed this before on your site, but I think this translates nicely into this concepts that I've got going on with this podcast and would really like to get your take on and your thoughts on one, the programming of the people and what is the effects and really going on there with everybody. I know the one thing you do say is is the behaviour and is predictable. People are very predictable. So their behaviour is like a bot, as you say, in form or form. But that's not necessarily the true picture or the true case of what is actually going on. But it appears on the surface to be that very thing. Yeah, this is what I really wanted to more on on this episode than than anything else was what is going on with people themselves. And the other thing as well, JLB, is that you have certainly seem to have a lot of experience or a lot of interest in the behavior of people and just from your last five years in the app realm have come up with some amazing observations of the behaviors of people in the, in all these different servers and on reddit and and places like this and it's got to the point where you pretty much know whenever you post anything the kind of reactions you're going to get straight away you just know and that's purely down to your own observations of, of and the behaviors of, of those around us so yeah this is what i really wanted to just crack into and just obviously just make this more of a relaxed conversation as well because I think with Project Monolith I tend to give people a bit of a well, not so much a grilling but being a bit more a bit more formal and like to keep this podcast just more chatty rather than like a formal interview like I grilled you on the, <laughs> on the Project Monolith episode before so yeah I didn't feel grilled on that episode that Project Monolith one that was when we talked about the uh, the history hoax and the war hoax yeah and I thought that was a good call but this is uh, a more casual format for calls i'm enjoying it we're doing the same thing at johnlebond.com with the sometimes record episodes instead of having a set structure they're just more open and free-flowing i'm not editing them as much and it took me a little while to get used to it but i'm i'm coming around to this idea that a lot of people just want to hear casual conversations and it's actually easy for me as well just to sit here and chat so yeah i'm happy just to have a casual chat about non-player characters the thing is you and i have something in common we've both worked in sales now, you learn things when you're learning sales. You learn things about people that are counterintuitive when it comes to what people respond to well, what they respond to poorly, what they mean. They'll say something that means something else. You learn all of these things in sales. And so the five or six months that I spent in sales in the first half of 2016, I was working in a call center, a sales call center. And I've spoken about this publicly, and I'm not proud of it, but that's what happened. That's the job I got. I didn't know that was a job I was applying for. I didn't know that that was the job that I was getting. It was promoted as an inbound consultant role, right? 
which it kind of was, but not, not entirely. And so it turns out I was working in sales. And so I learned all these things about people that I just had no idea about. And, uh, and you've worked in sales as well. So I'm sure you've also, you got some insight into the human, the human condition, what humans are in your time in sales as well, I'm sure. I certainly have, John. The difference between you and me was is I was completely aware that I was going into a sales role. And the reason I actually did that was because I worked in laboratory environments for so long and worked my way up to manager, technical manager level in laboratories. But the money was still pretty poor, I had to say. So I on purposely went into sales because one, I actually enjoyed the social interaction side of it or the building relationships with potential customers. But unfortunately, and this is the way of the world, money is what we're all there for. That's why we go to work. The money you can earn from a sales job, especially if you're talking about commissions as well on top of a, a paid wage, you can double, treble what you're earning from a technical role, which in itself is madness to me because some of the expertise or technical expertise some people have in certain areas it's just like this strange levels of or pay scales that people get given and and the worth that's put on a job but for a salesperson because you you can be individually making so much money for a company you get a, a percentage of them sales and usually a quite a small one to be honest but it's crazy mate it really yeah i i knew that i was going into a sales role but i also over the years i did did a few courses went out with people who would coach me teach me a few tricks yeah yeah the predictability of people and what you were getting when when i was sitting in front of potential customers and i'd assess this person and follow a bit of a path or a bit of a plan to arrive at a a sale so it's uh, it's crazy stuff mate it really is and that's what happened with us they gave us a script and when you go through training it was two weeks of training before we were allowed to make a single phone call two weeks of training a lot of that was to do with government regulations in the industry that we were in, but a lot of it was to do with talking with the client. How do you talk with the client? And coming up with a script. And so we would all come up with our own individual script for when talking to the customers on the phone. But our individual script came from the central script. It was only a slight deviation from the central script that came from above, that came from our manager's boss. And so we all pretty much had to stick to the script. And they tell us, stick to the script, you'll get better results. If you go off the script, you won't get better results. Doesn't matter how smart you think you are. Doesn't matter how uh, counterintuitive you think some of these steps are. This is the most efficient script and you will learn that. And of course, me being the way I am, I'm like, sure. I'm sure for the most part, what they're saying is true, but we'll see what happens. And I learn in those first few weeks on the phones, yeah, if you deviate from the script, you might have the occasional success here or there, but overall, no, you're, you're worse off. It's less efficient. Stick to the script because this is scientific. These people have recorded and checked thousands of phone calls, maybe multiple thousands of phone calls, maybe tens of thousands of phone calls, who knows? But they've come up with what is the most efficient way to talk to a customer, how to identify what that customer wants, why they want it, and how to give them what they want and how to present them what they want in a way that they will take. This has all been done scientifically. And by scientifically, I mean with a method. People have sat down with the data and they've worked out, right, our hypothesis is that if we do this, this, and this, we'll get this result. Let's see what the data says. And they come up with this final result. Now, that's not how they presented it to us during training. They didn't say, hey, we've 
scientifically assessed all of the data. What they basically said was, hey, here's what's going to work for you, so do it. So I'm saying post-fact, or I'm saying me, myself, looking at what was going on, taking myself out of the, the situation. This is what they're doing. They've said, right, we've got all these data points of the humans that we deal with day after day, day after day, year after year. Here is how to deal with the humans, and this will give us the best results. And so in my particular field, we were not doing cold calling. It wasn't cold calling, calling grandmas, trying to sell, uh, you know, television pack. I don't know. It wasn't any of that. It was a field where we were doing warm leads. So people would leave their details for us to call them. And so we had an expected uh, conversion rate. So I think ours was about 22%, don't quote me. So in other words, for every four or five calls, you should be able to sell one uh, item that we were selling or one service that we were selling. And so 22% is fairly high. Anyone out there who's worked in telesales will know that's fairly high. Yeah, it's fairly high because they're warm leads. And I think the inbound department were expected to go at 50%. In other words, if they're calling us, one in every two calls by the end of the call, we should have credit card details. Now, they had come up with this scripting system that would lead to that 22 plus percent conversion. If you deviated from the script, okay, maybe today you've gone at 30%. That's great. But give it a few days and you'll fall back below the 22% and then you'll fall back below 20% and then you're, uh, you're swimming with the sharks. You're not long before you're at the office, right? The script works. Now think about that word script, the script. We follow the script. In a play, you follow a script. But who else follows a script? A computer robot, right? And I don't think it's a coincidence that those two words are used the same way or that that word is used in both, both situations, if you get what I'm trying to say. I totally get what you're trying to say. And for anybody who hasn't heard this before, thinking about it in this way, it's quite a mind blow. It really is. Essentially, no matter what area of life you're in, wherever you could apply a script to any situation. Now, I suppose the one difference between what I was doing and what you were doing, you were on the phone. While my most of my work in sales, obviously, yeah, I did have to phone, make phone calls, make appointments, things like this. But the majority of my work was face-to-face. -face. So I would go and visit a customer. So this kind of thing went in another direction direction as well there's one person in particular who taught me quite a lot about putting on a mask so putting on a, a character in relation to the potential customer you were visiting so you go in and assess the the customer and you would kind of start adapting this mask to fit in with this customer and obviously as well show an interest in the person adapt your character <laughs> adapt your character to the potential customer and still be following kind of a script as well so it is crazy stuff mate it's all as you say it everybody seems to be able to or you seem to be able to use a certain as you say script or predictor on an outcome of things and you can guide the situation quite easily when you put this into perspective it's no wonder there's so many people who pull the old contracts and manage to squeeze people out of money out in the real world all the time when you realize there's obviously a number of buttons that you can push on on a person and be able to pull the all over their eyes no doubt about it by using a script in sales it, this is exactly what you are kind of doing even though you can feel good about it i suppose because you know they've approached the company in the first place it was something they wanted in the first place and you are actually i think in your case you were actually helping them to save money anyway on something that were already purchasing well that's the interesting thing a lot of the time we were because the field that i was in is heavily regulated by the government and there's no locking contracts so no company that we were working on behalf of could possibly lock somebody in in fact 
That was why in that particular company, you didn't get paid your commissions in the fortnight of the sale. You got your commissions from last fortnight because what people can easily do is the next day cancel, go to a different company. And of course, we had competitors. So we might call them today and yeah, we've found them a better deal than what they were on. But so what? Because one of our competitors calls them the next day and gives them an even better deal, you see. So we only got our commissions if they'd been uh, staying as a customer for X period of time. So you got your commissions from last fortnight. This, so you would get your pay from this fortnight for your hours worked and your overtime, but your commissions were from last fortnight for this exact reason. So I was working in a field where there was no uh, grubbery, there was no locking people in, there was none of that nonsense. It was all highly regulated, which made it easier for me as a person to, to feel like what I was doing was ethical. And a lot of the time, yeah, we could find people better deals. But what blew me away and what really opened my mind was how a lot of the time... I could offer someone a much better deal than what they've got. Much better. Save them money and or get them better services for the same amount of money, right? Sometimes do both. Cheaper and better services. Objectively better by any, by any sane person's estimation. A better deal, they won't take it. I could speak to somebody else and what I can offer them is either marginally better or no better at all. Or depending on your, your perspective, possibly even a little bit worse. Who knows? I mean, it's, it's a subjective thing at, at times. And yet that person would take they'd take the sale, they would take the change. They'd say, yeah, swap me over. Here's my credit card details. And what would be the difference between the calls? Like, how come the person who is objectively better off if we do the switchover for them doesn't take the deal? But the person who is not objectively better off, potentially worse off, how come they're like, yeah, man, let me give you my credit card details. Let's do it now. How come? Well, this is where we get to this, this idea that humans are not logical creatures. They're emotional. So if you have built rapport with the person during the call, if they like, if they just like who you are as a person on the phone after a 30 or 40 minute phone call, they're more likely to say, yeah, man, switch me over, no problems. But the person who you haven't built a rapport with, it doesn't matter that you've got the better deal. And this is something they had to teach us. So like you might speak to someone and you straight away realize, oh, they're on, they're on that old plan from our competitor. That's a terrible plan. We're going to find them a better deal in two minutes, right? Don't jump ahead. You've still got to spend the time building the rapport because at the end of the call, it doesn't matter if you can save them money. They won't care if they don't like you. They've got to like you, right? And so this is like a tough lesson to learn at first. You're like, no, man, I'm speaking to one of these people. They're with XYZ company. That's a terrible plan, man. I've got, this fish is in the boat. This one's easy, man. You're already starting to imagine you're going to get up there, go and put your name on the whiteboard, ring the bell, because all of that stuff in sales is true. The stuff you're seeing, Wolf of Wall Street, that, is, that actually does happen in, in phone uh, sales centers. So you're like, yes, because you never know who you're going to speak to on the phones, right? You're hoping they're one of these people on these terrible old deals that are just, no matter what you say, you've got a better deal for this person, right? But if your eyes light up when you realize what plan they're on, you're in trouble because now you're not going to put your time into building rapport and then 10, 15 minutes later, whatever the case might be, all right, so let's make the switch. Nah. What do you mean, nah? You're literally wasting money every day right now. Nah, I'll stay with who I'm, who I'm with. Thanks for, thanks for the comparison. All right, bye-bye. What? What's going on here? They're not logical. They're emotional. You see, and I had, I didn't understand the, the depths of this until I worked in that job and, and phone call after phone call, you're learning about the people. You know what I mean? I do exactly know what you mean. And, and this is, again, coming back to my experience, this is the whole reason why there are still representatives on the road going around, building up relationships with customers. And obviously you don't click with everybody, but the ones you do click with, what you find is, is that this relationship where somebody apparently you've built a trust with them, you're the first person then that they're going to phone up when they want something or will buy things off you straight away. It is quite incredible, isn't it, to realize that it is pretty much all based on emotion. 
and not on the logical choice at all. And of course, the other the other thing is is that now in in nowadays society, I think people just expect a general level of quality and performance from so a, a different types of product so any one product might be made by say 200 different companies so it's expected now that these 200 companies will all be supplying a product that is similar quality to be honest there's, there's not so that's that's a given it's not even like you're, you're selling on quality or on an original product so what are you what you're selling on you're, you're selling you're selling on just the price no you're completely right you're selling what you're selling is your is yourself and your company but from a an emotional standpoint 100% with you on on this it is fairly obvious what's going on yeah it's emotion ahead of logic now that might seem as though it goes against the idea that they're bots right because bots are logical a robot can only follow logic rather than emotion however you take a step back and think about well what are those emotional triggers what if those are predictable do you see what I'm trying to say what if what if the emotional triggers or the things that people actually do care about whether it's conscious or not what if those things are predictable well that's what the scripting is all about the scripting is all about find out the problem find out why it's a problem because oftentimes when you're speaking to someone they won't tell you directly what the problem is right oh i'm just shopping around for a better deal blah blah blah. yeah but why are you doing that you're obviously not happy with the company you're with so what is it about the company you're with that you're not happy about find out what the problem really is then offer a solution to that problem. And if you can do that in a way where they like you by the end of the call, bang, it's it's taken care of. And so that predictability, that's that's where the bot-like element comes in. That they're not they're not objective, it's all subjective. And after you make phone call after phone call, five, 10, 15, 20 phone calls a day, day after day, all of a sudden you've built your own sort of data set. And then and then by the end of the five or six months at the company, because I left after about five months I think, I was able to look back and, and I had this huge data sample in my head about what I was dealing with. And yeah, they were correct from, from the first fortnight of training. It's the script, stick to the script. The people are predictable. And yeah, that's exactly what they are. So the whole NPC meme that got big a few years ago, that made sense to me because this was post that job in sales. That meme made sense to me. This idea that, yeah, the people around us actually are all predictable bots or most of them anyhow. Yeah, that made sense to me. Now, a lot of us, certainly when I was growing up, we had this conception that everybody's unique. Everybody can think for themselves and everybody's logical and some people are smarter than other people, but overall, humans are intelligent. That's what sets us apart from the monkeys, the fact that we are intelligent and we can think about our own brains and all these kinds of things. And then especially for people like me who do spend a lot of time thinking, arguably too much time thinking, we project that onto everyone around us. So if we're deep in thought and we spend lots of our time deep in thought, we assume everyone else is doing that. It turns out that's not the case. It turns out that most people spend most of their day in no deep thought whatsoever. Some of them in no thought whatsoever. It's entirely autopilot. And yet it can take some of us a long time to wake up to that fact because when we're around these people, they mirror us. So if we start asking them questions that require thought, sure, they're capable of answering. And we think, oh, that's because they think about these things. No, they don't think about these things. They only are responding to what we're saying because that's what they're capable of doing. But if we're not there, they go back to what they were doing before thinking about what food am I going to eat for dinner tonight or what's on Netflix tonight or this kind of thing, trivial stuff. No deep thoughts whatsoever and definitely no independent thoughts whatsoever. And so I now believe, I now suspect, I now say, I now put in the content that I release, I explain why I say this, that I'm now convinced the vast majority of people, yeah, they are bot-like in the sense that there's no independent critical thought going on. If the authorities say X, Y, or Z, these people will go along with that. 
it's not in their nature to to take a step back and to process what's being presented and come up with their own ideas. They just go with the herd. Yeah, and the other thing that plays into this, John, obviously for yourself anyway, is the fact that you yourself had or did that university course in logic. And I think, I mean, how do you relate that to how you're viewing most of the people now, as in the effect that little period of your life, the effect that had on your own thinking must have been absolutely massive. Yeah, well, looking back now, it, it seems as though that was one of those. I mean, you can look at your own path through life and, and look at any particular point and say, oh, that was the changing point. But I think there's many of these changing points along the, the journey, like many of these crossroads or many of these things that puts us off in a slightly different direction or a slightly different bearing. And then one thing leads to another. So I don't want to say oh, taking that course is what led me to be here today, but it was definitely a big part of it. And so for listeners, for context, in Australian universities, we, do, we tend to do four subjects per semester, two semesters a year. So whether you call it a, a subject, which they do in Victoria, or a course, which I could do in Queensland, you do eight of these per year. And so I did one subject on logic. I did a whole bunch of other subjects, obviously, but I just did one subject. So we're talking maybe three or four hours per week for maybe 10 or 12 weeks, and then a couple of exams, a couple of essays. So it wasn't some intensive thing. It was really just an introduction to logic. In fact, that's what it was called. It was called PHL. 1010. It was literally introduction to logic. And it just introduces you to these ideas of a standard form argument. What is a premise? How do premises lead to a conclusion? What is a logical fallacy? What is induction versus deduction? Or what is it to induce an argument? What is it to make an inference? Just basic ideas. And one of the, the concepts that's introduced to you is this idea that whatever your beliefs are, you can post facto rationalize those if you want. But what you can also do instead is to start from the start start with the evidence base and then draw your conclusions from that. And what a lot of humans do is they've got beliefs and if you challenge the belief that the belief is at the center of the conversation now and everything they do from that moment is an attempt to justify the belief rather than, well, you know what? Maybe my my belief is wrong. Let's start from the start and look at the evidence. Okay, what's the evidence? Let's assess it. What's good evidence? What's bad evidence? Now, what follows from the evidence? I will now come up with my belief. And so, for example, if you're talking to somebody about Suppose they, they believe that you need to eat three meals a day. And many people do believe that because that people seem to, to promote this idea. Oh, you've got to eat three square meals a day, right? If someone has that belief and you talk to them and you challenge that, chances are the rest of that conversation, the next minute, five minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour, two hours, everything that person's going to do is going to be an attempt to justify the belief that's already there. What that person probably won't do is say, you know what? Maybe we don't need three meals a day. Let's look at the evidence we've got available to us. Let's look at the evidence of what happens when we have three meals a day as individuals, our anecdotal evidence. What happens to my friends when they don't eat three meals a day? More anecdotal evidence. Is there any scientific evidence on this? Can we look at the empirical data, etc.? Let's get all the evidence together and then decide, do we need three meals a day? So what I'm suggesting is most people, the vast majority of us, including me, up until I took that course, was we have all these beliefs that we just post facto rationalize. Whereas what we can do instead is look at the evidence, then draw a, draw a conclusion. And so just having these ideas brought to my attention as an 18 or 19-year-old in 2000, what do I mean, 2007, I think, having all these ideas brought to me, it was new. No, no one in school had, no one throughout all my high school had said to me, hey, here's a premise, here's a premise, here's a conclusion. Here's a way to form, a, form an argument. It was all new to me. And most of the people I've met, they've never had any, any training or any introduction to this at all. 
So they're basically flying blind through life. If they don't even know what is a logical fallacy, or if they don't know what is an appeal to authority, or if they don't know what is a red herring, or if they don't know why an appeal to consensus might not be a good argument, if they don't even know any of these basics, they're basically flying through life blind, which is the case, I think, for most people. So I guess to answer your question directly, that course that I took back in, uh, back in first year, first year university, yeah, life-changing, to the point where I've still got the, the study guide I've got it with me to this day. I'm traveling around Asia. I've been in Asia for 12 months now, traveling from city to city, country to country. I've only got a couple of books with me that I take everywhere. And I've got my study guide, my reason and argument study guide from PHL 1010. Because it's good to just flip through it every now and then just to be reminded, oh, that's what that means. That's what that fallacy is. Or it's just good to get your brain thinking. Like what is a standard form argument? Why does it matter? I think it's good for me just to tick my brain over. So that's the impact it's had on me. All these years later, I still keep that guide with me. So I feel, I feel fortunate in a sense that, that these ideas were brought to me back when I was only still fairly young. I hadn't built up all of these beliefs and frameworks that I had to defend. You speak to a 30-year-old or a 40-year-old or a 50-year-old now, they've spent their whole life building up all these beliefs. Of course, they're going to post facto rationalize every single one of those beliefs, the vast majority of them. They're not going to say, well, you know what? You're challenging what I thought I knew. Let me sit here for a moment and think about what my evidence is. You know, they're not going to do that. They're just going to defend what they already believe. And why wouldn't they? That makes perfect sense, given that they're lacking this, this notion that there's another way to do things. It's very convoluted, I think, in a way. So we, we look at people in general and you think, well, why? what does the mainstream say or seem to promote as being uh, an intelligent or clever person? And when you like, take a step back and have a look, it all comes down to the way people are schooled or taught in this method of repeating information so taking in a heap of information and being able to repeat it back but as you say the actual processing of said information except within specific boundaries as in maybe you're given a certain problem within a certain subject to solve it doesn't transcend across subjects in any way when you've been schooled and after obviously and it all plays hand in hand into this non-critical thinking nobody as you say is taught this when this should be taught in primary school or elementary school as the americans say this kind of courses and things like this that this should be taught to all children it really should be and you think well why is that why has it been took away from society because it has been that cause is that heavily promoted i doubt i doubt it you, you know they are out there there are people still still taking these courses but they're few and far between i didn't take one of these courses it took myself it was my own interest in the thought process and things like this that led me to to start looking into fallacies and, and the trivium and and whatever pushing myself to and, and my own interest to, to actually find out about it and try and start learning and understanding what was going on there but for the, the most part you know a clever person in the media or in the in our civilization is somebody who who can essentially parrot back information just like a computer just like a bot you're the cleverest academic because you can take in stories of history and then parrot them back as close to the the original storyline that was given you in the first place and that makes you a clever person clearly it doesn't does it john Lebon? clearly it does not 
Well, most education is just rote learning. What is an exam? They give you a bunch of questions, and if you've studied hard, you've memorised the answers to the questions. That's what most exams are. Now, in, in something like mathematics, this makes enough sense because mathematics is kind of like a language. It kind of like is logic into a, to a degree. So if they say to you, what is this equal? Or what, what is the solution to this problem? Fair enough. You've, you've memorised the process that they give you. Okay. But when it comes to something like history, okay, now we're supposedly talking about what happened in the objective world, the real world, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 2,000 years ago, as the case may be. Okay, now we're talking about something that, why should I believe what this textbook says all of a sudden? Because this textbook is giving you one interpretation. Is this the only interpretation? Mathematics is, is less interpretable. Okay, so two plus two, most people, if they accept the axioms of mathematics, they're going to come to four. Whereas history, does it work? Is, are there axioms that we have to accept? I don't think so, because none of us were there to see it. So the textbook gives us one interpretation. Uh, there are other interpretations. And then, does this textbook give us reasons why it's saying these things? Does it give us footnotes and references? During the exam, are we supposed to show our own footnotes and references? No, chances are we're supposed to just tell the examiner what the examiner wants to hear. And the examiner themselves is marking from a sheet that they've been given. Like they know what answers are good and what answers are bad. So they're going to a program as well. So most of our education is rote learning. It's just memorizing stuff and, and parroting it back, isn't it? It certainly is. I think that it's actually a specific method as well, isn't it? Is it some Prussian, some Prussian learning method or something that was put into place 100 years ago? Yeah, I've heard people try and say that. I've never, I've never spent enough time looking for the evidence to find the evidence to, to verify that, that uh, meme, that concept that the Prussian education system was was pushed over the West. What I did find, though, was a book called The Principles of Secondary Education by a guy called Alexander Ingalls. Now, this Ingalls guy, they named a lectureship or a professorship or uh, some kind of scholarship at Harvard in secondary education after this Alexander Ingalls guy. So obviously, he was a very influential guy in education, and he must be respected. Why else would Harvard honor him in this way and have these, these awards or what have you named in his, uh, in his honor or this lectureship named in his honor? Why? He must have been a prominent guy. Now, what did he say in his book, The Principles of Secondary Education, 100 years ago? He said that the purpose of it was to make people conform, to conform people, to make people predictable. This is what he was saying in the book. So you and I consider and say, oh, why doesn't school teach people logic, why doesn't it encourage them to evaluate what's being presented and to check to see if there's fallacies involved in all this? Why, why doesn't secondary education do that? Well, because according to Ingalls, it was never supposed to in the first place. That's, that's not what he wanted. That's not what the establishment wants. Why would they want a whole bunch of people thinking for themselves? How does that help the establishment? How does that help society? Seriously, how does it help society? Society is better off, some would argue, if most of the people spend very little time thinking and instead just do what they're told. If they're told to wake up at 7 o'clock and be at work by 7.45, that's what you want them to do. Because if people don't do that, things don't work smoothly. The bus driver doesn't turn up. Now 30 people can't get to their jobs. They can't get to their jobs. Now some person, their appointment gets cancelled. Sorry, he's not in yet. His bus got cancelled. Like, when people stop doing their jobs, society doesn't work as smoothly as, as we want it to. Now, is it more likely to work smoothly if you've got a whole bunch of people who are thinking for themselves or if you've got a whole bunch of people who just do what they're told. Probably people doing what they're told. So five years ago, four or five years ago, when I was still new to all of this and I was raging against the machine and I wasn't happy that 
the lemmings were being brainwashed and all this kind of thing. I, I thought this was all bad. Whereas now I've come around to this position of, well, maybe it's not such a bad thing. Maybe. I'm not here to argue that it's a good thing, but I'm open-minded to that now in a way that I wasn't four or five years ago. Well, this is the revelation, isn't it? I mean, today, for instance, today, for instance, I was like, I want to get home an hour early so I can retain these latest articles, take some notes. If he wants to talk about NPCs, let's see where the conversation goes, but I want to have a few notes here just in case. I went and got myself a cafe latte, an iced cafe latte, right? I went in there, I ordered it. Three minutes later, it was done. It was ready. It was beautiful. I just finished it. It was great, right? That person had to do their job. Someone had to train them how to use a coffee machine and how to use the cream and all this other stuff, right? And how to bang, put it on the thing and, and notify me, hey, it's ready, right? Someone had to train this person to do that. And some person had to train that person how to do it. Now that person to get to work, either caught public transport or they rode a scooter. That scooter breaks down. Someone has to know how to fix that scooter. There are all these skills that people have. They're pretty basic, but they all involve rote learning and them doing their job makes it easier for me to enjoy my life. And then if I have a job, and I've had many jobs over the years, if I can stick to my scripting, if I can stick to my training, people are better off. So for instance, I used to work in fast food. Now, when I'm making a burger, if I put too much sauce on the burger, whoever gets that burger, he'll never know that I made it. He'll be like, man, this burger's got too much sauce. It's crap, right? I've just ruined his meal. If I stick to what I'm told to do, that guy's going to get a burger that someone has decided this burger should have this sauce and this amount of this sauce, right? So me sticking to that training, that guy's going to have a better burger. And everyone listening to this, or almost everyone listening to either has a job now or had a job in the past, where if they stuck to what they were told to do, didn't try and think of better ways to do it, just do what you're told, everyone's better off. I no longer see this as such a bad or evil or malevolent or nefarious thing. I, I no longer see it that way. I used to, but not, not anymore. Again, I'm, I'm totally with you and on board with this, John. It is quite obvious to me that to have a, a society like this, the benefit for the majority of the society is it's just all going to run nice and smooth. This all plays into hand in hand into this podcast and that the human race has been domesticated. It really has. The problem we have here is that there are indeed not many, but certainly there may be thousands and thousands of people out there who, like us, are at least starting to realise for themselves that, well, hang on a minute, this is exactly what's going on. Human race has been domesticated. Now, how do those people reconcile? This is when all the big questions start hitting you in the, in the face, is, well, why am I here? What am I doing? supposed to be doing? And who, who the bloody hell decided to put this system in in the first place? Okay, you can understand that everything's all merry and to some degree that we have all these hoaxes that in effect are taking away the emotions and things that, that could be used in a, in a bad way against each other as well as against the so-called hidden rulers or rulers of this system. So yeah, fair enough. But it's still the fact that you there are people critically thinking out there and coming to this realization that we're living in a essentially living in a big pen that's what we're living in we really are so how do you reconcile this john but is it such a bad thing though is it like is it such a bad thing let's say we live we're, let's say we're living in a giant pen right let's just say that this is a, a giant pen and we are like some kind of domesticated animal for the sake of argument let's say that that's true why is that such a bad thing Right? Many people listening to this right now, they have pet dogs or pet cats or pet birds or pet lizards or pet snakes or whatever. Does that pet have such a bad life? 
most people don't just let their animals run free. Firstly, they want the animals to be domesticated in most cases, right? And secondly, they want those animals to be limited to their, their range of motion, how far they can go. I used to have a pet cat. We put a little bell on its neck so that if it tried to catch a bird, the bird would be alerted. Or if it was a very dumb bird, man, we, we tried. We put a bell on this cat. If the cat still catches you, then you probably didn't have much time anyway, right? We did what we could to limit the cat being natural. Yeah, the cat had a good life, I think. And most people listen to this, their animals have good lives. Why can't we have good lives in this? Let's just say this, we're domesticated, we're in a giant pen. Why can't we still have a good life? Why, why does that be such a bad thing? Well, you, you can have a good life. And I don't, again, I don't deny that. And, and to be honest, no matter who you are, you can make the most of, of what you have at your own disposal to advance yourself as much as you want, whether that be a, being an entrepreneur or doing amazingly well in a career and you know, raising a family, whatever you want to do, but the choice is yours. Obviously, it is bound within the system itself. So the, all the criterias for, for how most people's life run is set. The parameters are set by the system. However, there still is that irking thought in the back of my mind that the potential for certain people is absolutely vast. And you think, well, to have a system that is completely just treating everybody the same and burying that potential really is, it's a bit crazy to me. It really is. So the thought still crosses my mind is, is what could, at least on a, maybe on an individual scale is, you know, what could people actually be? What could they actually do given the backing of, of a society as vast as our own? But instead, that's not what happens, is it? I think I get where you're coming from. It's kind of like, look at how the world is today. What if people were not intentionally retarded with ultrasound, with injections, with uh, mainstream television, school, of course? What if people were not intentionally kept at this lowest or encouraged to stay at this lowest common denominator state? What kind of wonderful world could we live in, right? I think that's kind of where you're coming from. And I spent some time, this is what I used to do as well. I used to compare what we have today to what theoretically, hypothetically, idealistically utopianistically we might have yeah and there's this expression that i tried to remind myself of which is that comparison is the thief of joy in other words if you ignore what you have and instead of having a positive outlook on what you have in the real world today right now and instead compare that to some hypothetical some other imagination then you're you're thieving from your own joy today because that other thing you can imagine amazing things wonderful things you can imagine whatever you want Right. Well, then guess what? That imagination is better than what you have right now. That's why you're imagining it. That's your imagination doing that. Now you're no longer enjoying what you've got right here. So this idea of, oh, but we could all be so much more if, if, the, if the system was different. Okay, let's just say that's true. The system is what it is right now, though. So how does that help us? To, how does it help me as an individual to spend my time thinking that way? Because I'm not going to change the system. And anybody out there who's listening to this, if they're being honest with themselves, they know they're not going to change the system. And this whole, oh, well, if enough of us get together and do what? We're not changing the system. Come on, let's, let's be serious. The system is what it is, so we can either be positive about it or we can be negative about it or we can go through ebbs and flows, which is what I tend to do. It's up to us. But the system is what it is. And I think there are many good things about this system. I'm talking to you right now. I'm talking to you in zero latency. This call is costing us nothing. How come I can talk to some guy on the other side of the world in real time, zero latency, no interruption? Why can I do that? I didn't invent this technology. The same people who supposedly are so evil gave me this technology. And then people come back to me and they say, oh, well, they only did that because they, they want to you know, do bad things. And blah. I'm like, okay, but I'm having a good conversation right now with someone who I enjoy talking to. That's what I'm focused on. 
So who are these people who are constantly focused on the negative and how do they help me is what I want to know. That's where I'm at now. Yeah, I, I, I'm totally with you on that. I, I think it's, to me, it's just the, this potential aspect. And to be honest, because I do have these such deep thoughts all the time about what's going on. And, and obviously I can also see that the way the system is and the fact that everybody's been domesticated, it really does all play into all the hoaxes and everything that we can, that we keep coming across today and the war hoax for me is is one of these biggies it really is so obvious now when you realize that what's happening on the on an earth-wide scale to civilization to the human civilization and to actually anybody who, who comes across what's going on with the civilization itself and with the programming of people and the the guiding of humanity how it is and then or hear about the war oaks and not be able to fit that in with how, <laughs> with what's going on it beggars belief for me it really does all these hoaxes all these major hoaxes the space hoax the history hoax the lot of them they all tie hand in hand in with what i'm now calling the civilization hoax because that's <laughs> it really does so it's a tough one and i certainly can sit here and say that i'm fully aware and know that there is nobody out there to stop us or gonna stop us doing whatever we want nothing not at all there's, there's nobody going to do that, not for, for any reason. And the only one who's going to stop you doing anything is yourself. And that's in your own mind. It really is. So from that point of view, it really isn't, as you say, it isn't dark in that respect. But it does bring up some questions as to what is ultimately guiding all this. And it, and it also comes back to the God question as well. Would, a, <laughs> would an all-powerful, all-knowing God create beings with free will and then stick them in a system <laughs> stick them in a system as a domesticated pet it's quite it's quite interesting it really is yeah if there is a creator then it would seem that way wouldn't it, it would seem if there is a creator whether that creator is a so-called god or it is a computer programmer and this is some kind of simulation or whatever people conceptualize a creator as yeah in a way we're kind of like lab rats we, it could be that way anyway like it could be that this is some kind of broad experiment either on us as a as a collective or on us as individuals the individual as in myself in my life you in your life and each listener in their life they are kind of like the experiment what will you do in this environment what will you do in this environment and is what you're about to do has it already been predicted to 100% accuracy has it been predicted to 50% are they still tweaking the system are you kind of like the part of you that is a soul or that is unique or is organic is that being tested by the the simulation the fake reality is that what's going on these are things I wonder about sometimes as well and obviously I don't I don't know and I'm sure you will say that you don't know and, and the listeners if they're being honest they'll probably say that they don't know this is the great mystery but I, the mystery to me is not something that is problematic it doesn't the mystery doesn't stress me anymore the, the, the mystery is not something that that worries me sometimes I actually find it kind of cool it's like every day is a mystery that's a lot more fun than knowing exactly I mean imagine if you knew exactly why you were here what if what if there was some way for them to communicate to you yeah actually you've worked it out you are organic and real we think we can predict everything that's going to happen for you but we haven't we haven't perfected it yet we've run this test thousands of times millions of times in fact we've run this test so many times the numbers that we would have to use to convey that number of times to you you wouldn't be able to understand but let's just say we've got it pretty well worked out but we haven't nailed it yet so you are here in what you would call a simulation and we're observing you and all these things that happen to you we're throwing them in there just to see what you're going to do and we're learning and 
we don't know exactly what you're going to do next, but we're confident. You know what I mean? And actually, we've used something like you many times because you always seem to be a bit different to the norm. That's why you ended up being one of the people who could see the cardboard and the aluminium foil on the Lunar Lander. That's why you're here, actually. There's something weird about you. You keep throwing us curveballs, but we're getting better, right? If they came to you and they said all of that, and you're like, well, can I escape? They're like, well, you can try. You can jump off the balcony, but you'll be back here tomorrow. We can put you here as many times as we want, so don't even waste your time. <laughs> Okay, great. Now, now, the, now the mystery of life is gone, isn't it? It has, yeah. Like Grand Dog Day, man. That reference. <laughs> uh, and I don't think, to be honest, I mean, no matter how many hoaxes and how much stuff you, you come across, I think the more you delve into, the, the one thing that you can kind of come to terms with and understand is that everything is in your own hands. The responsibility for your life is yours and you can make of it whatever you want hence why we're sitting here doing this podcast now doing this what i'm doing now over the last well more than since may with my website but obviously making content and whatever for your own site john going back more than 12 months now that's a decision i've I made and the only thing i see is is being of benefit for me and not so much even in the fact that i'm discovering all these revelations and hoaxes but the fact that uh, making the content and learning all these new things how to build a website how to market and do all these things it's all adding to my experience but it's also adding to my knowledge base as well and it's all helping me progress and even at 50 years old i still have there's much I could learn and, and use to improve my life. So going back to old Marcus Allen and, and what he was talking about and has talked about for a long time now, really, is that there's so much here that can improve your life if you choose to learn it and go down that route. Unfortunately, going back to the subject matter of, of this podcast, the majority of people will not do that. Even when offered it on a plate, will not try and better their own lives. They, they just don't. Most, most people will just carry on. Not to contradict you, but you say it's unfortunate that people won't do that. And I'm like, okay, that's one perspective. That's fair enough. <laughs> Another perspective is it's a good thing that they won't. Okay, so I'm currently, as we speak, making money, being the first guy to point out, as far as I'm aware, the dinosaurs are a hoax, the way that I'm doing it. Other people have said this before, but in terms of downloading the scientific papers and showing people what the supposed evidence actually is, I think I'm the first guy to do that. I think I'm the first guy to go and record the hallowed, the holotype specimens in the middle of Australia, in my case. I think I'm the first person to do that, to go and actually pay the money to see the original specimens, not the replicas in museums, the original specimens, and say, guys, see this photo? See that thing looks like a piece of wood? They're claiming that's the real thing, right? I'm currently, as we speak, making money doing stuff like that. Now, why should I, just some dude from the outskirts of Melbourne and then the outskirts of Brisbane, why should I be the guy making money doing this? Because no one else has done it. Even though the internet as it exists now has been around for how long? 10, 15, 20 years. We've had, like, the individual has had the capacity to do this kind of thing. Why am I the first one to do it? Well, because guess what? Most people around me are no different in form or function from robots. <laughs> They weren't put here to do this kind of strange, weird thing. They weren't, they, and I use the word put here, that's getting very teleological. However they came to be here, it doesn't seem as though if they have a purpose, the purpose is to think for themselves. So it was going to come down to me or to you or to one of the listeners or one of the few thousand people out there who thinks for themselves, one of us was going to be the first to do it. So because the pool of potential competition is so much smaller, that's how I've been able to be the first person to do this, you see. So I see the good side of this. 
I, like, I look at the, the bright side of this. Would it be cool if I could go next door, knock on the door and say, hey, mate, you know, dinosaurs are a hoax, right? It's like, yeah, of course. Why are you asking? Like, wouldn't it be cool if there were so many more people I could talk about this stuff? Yeah, in a way, that would be cool. But then what? Then what would I do? Like, it, the world would be, my world, my life would be less interesting if everybody did know what I know, wouldn't it? Maybe I'm better off surrounded by these lemmings who believe that 70 million years ago, monsters used to roam the earth. Like, I might be better off that way. In fact, I think I am better off that way. Hunk pill. <laughs> That's what I can say. It's taking the hunk pill, isn't it? Ah, oh, just leads to question after question after question for me. My, my mind just basically overloads with questions. And I suppose in a, in a way, you can see that if this was going on in, in the average person's thought process, they'd be jumping off that cliff, going back to their groundhog day, wouldn't they? That, that really is pretty obvious now. Well, imagine how much that would suck if all people were aware that their life is basically an experiment in a simulation. Imagine if that were the case and people were just jumping off buildings all the time, how much that would suck. How much it would suck that you walk to your scooter in the morning and there's two more people who said, I don't want to be in a simulation. I thought my life was real, goddammit. And off they go. How would that be good news for me? I'm better off if all of these people still believe, oh, nah, I'm a very highly evolved monkey. I, I might be better off if they believe this, you see. <laughs> I think on that note... I think we'll pull the plug. That's uh, thanks very much for joining me. Yeah, I'm sure we'll see you again shortly. <laughs> I'm sure we will. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. TNGBreakingReality.com. Uh, thank you very much for the invitation. And hopefully the listeners have uh, enjoyed the call. Then if you just want to give a little feel on, on what you've been up to or, or what you're planning to do over the next couple of weeks or something. and Well, I've got three more weeks here in Thailand. I've been very productive. I'm sober at the moment. Today is day 11 of sobriety. And so I'm getting a lot of work done. I've released so far eight podcasts in just the last six weeks. TNG has been on a couple of them. They've been fantastic. And my hope is by the end of the three weeks that I've got left here to release a couple more podcasts, a couple of videos, a couple of articles on a whole range of topics. I'm uh, very much in working mode. I'm getting a lot of stuff done, feeling good about it. And then I'm heading to Kuala Lumpur for three months. And there, I think I will finally finish this Dino Skeptic road trip film. And then I'll launch that to the world. We'll see what happens. The world might love it. The, the world might hate it. The world might ignore it. Who knows? But uh, the result of that, whatever follows from that, will probably uh, give an indication as to what I do the last uh, five or six years have been phenomenal. I can barely describe them. I can't believe I'm here in Chiang Mai right now speaking, you know, speaking into a microphone about these kinds of topics. And uh, I'm almost 33 years old now. So what do I do with the next chapter of my life? I don't know. So next three weeks, a lot of content at johnlebond.com. Following that, there'll be a film at dinoskeptic.com. And then after that, TNG, who knows, my friend? Who knows what comes next? But uh, once again, thank you very much for having me. And hopefully we can do this again very, very, uh, very soon. Thanks very much, John. And I just have to say, and I won't say what, I have a very strong suspicion I know exactly what you're going to be doing after that Dino Skeptic movie's uh, dropped. And it's all very good, I'm sure. Maybe we can talk about that in the after call. I hope so. I hope you can tell me what I'm doing because I've got no idea. <laughs> this, this dino film, seriously, I think it could go big. I think it could be completely ignored. Like, I, I truly believe it's possible that it will move thousands of copies, right? And if that happens, I've suddenly got enough money to keep doing this for another two years, do you know what I mean? If that were to happen. And, and the encouragement to do it. And who knows what two more years of this could bring. All the film could be a complete flop, get nothing. I'm like, all right, had a good run. Time to go and, and live a normal life. I mean, it, it could go in any direction. Nobody knows right now, least of all me. But if TNG knows what comes next, mate, I'm all ears. I'd, I'd love to know what. I've got no family. I've got no kids. I've got no career. I've got no car. I've got no house, man. I've got no connection to this material world other than a laptop. 
you got many years ahead of you, mate. That's one thing you have got. That's for sure. Well, we can only hope so. But, mate, you need to wrap up the show. I'll see you in the after call. Yep. Thanks very much for coming on, John. I'll hope uh, everybody will join me for my next episode, which will be with a new content producer who's making a bit of a splash around here. So thanks very much, everybody, and I'll see you soon.